in a series right now. We're in the third week of our series called the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and this is Jesus is the, the crux of his teaching. He goes through so many topics. Uh, and it's three chapters long in Matthew. It's one of his most famous teachings, his longest teaching. And so we're spending three months in this where we're just almost done with our first month. Uh, and we started off talking about just kind of what does the character of a person who follows Christ look like. And this whole sermon, Jesus is speaking to his followers. There's no call to repentance during the sermon. There's, uh, there's uh, not a, a talk of eternal life. These are people that have already decided to follow Christ. And so if you are here and you haven't decided to follow Christ, then you can learn about what does that mean, what should Christians look like, how should they act, what does what Christ uh, believe a follower of him should be. Um, and if you are a follower of Christ, then I pray that we are convicted today just as much as they were when Jesus spoke about this 2,000 years ago. Uh, today we cover a fun topic. We're looking at the law and what this... Uh, I know, John's like, this is not a fun topic. And I think it's a fun topic because there's so much misunderstanding around the law and the prophets and the Old Testament. And Jesus clears that up uh, and what we're talking about today. And in him clearing that up, he lays a foundation for the next four weeks, uh, four things, that topics that we're going to talk about. So it's really important to understand this if we're going to kind of keep on getting the crux of what Jesus uh, is talking about. And so I pray that we learn today that we're convicted by the Holy Spirit uh, and that we can better understand God's word as we read it. And so we're going to read Matthew 5, verses 17 to 20. And you can read with me right on the screen. Says, Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is interesting. This is interesting because, like I said, there's, there's a lot of confusion around the Old Testament and its place in a New Testament world. And so I pray that a lot of that gets clarified for us today and we can properly understand the context of the Old Testament, understand how it applies to our life and what Jesus did in reference to it. And we're talk about a, a lot of kind of nuance and things relating to that. And so Jesus, there's two parts to this, this message that he says. The, the first part is the first two verses. It's basically how does the Old Testament relate to Christ? How does it relate to him? And then the second part, the, the second two verses is how does the Old Testament, how does it relate to us, uh, followers of Jesus? And so that's kind of what the the Today's message is going to be broken down. How does the law and the prophets, how does it uh, relate to Jesus? And then how does it relate to us today? And so the first thing Jesus says is this, verse 17. Uh, I'm going to take parts. He says this statement. He says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. He also says, I have not come to abolish. 
right? And so he affirms two times here that he is not abolishing anything, and, and that's important. We got to keep that in mind um, because there is a lot of doctrine that is around concerning the relationship of the Old Testament in a New Testament world, and a lot of the most common falsehoods about the Old Testament is this, that it has no relationship with us today. I hear that a lot, that, uh, you know, even if you ask people, what do you read in the Bible? A lot of people just don't read the Old Testament. They feel it's irrelevant to their Christian life and to their walk, Uh, and some people go as far as teaching that it's irrelevant to your life and to your walk. Uh, They literally think, you know, if you hear this in teaching form, in doctrine form, that Jesus' crucifixion, his coming, his resurrection, means that the Old Testament is meaningless. You know, what's what's another uh, word for that? Abolished. And um, what does Jesus say here? Twice, I have not come to abolish the law or the prophets. So when Jesus says the law of the prophets, he's, he's basically saying, I haven't come to abolish what we refer to as the Old Testament. Uh, yet, we constantly get teaching and doctrine and misinterpretation that that's exactly what Jesus did. And so we don't read it, we don't pay attention to it. Uh, even dating back to 300 AD, there have been heresies that have come around that have said, we do not read, we don't care about the Old Testament. And some of these heresies have gone so far as to remove this portion of Scripture that we just read from the Bible because they say, oh, an an editor added that. Somebody else put that in there. Why? Because you cannot cope with what Jesus says here and throwing out the Old Testament. It just, it wouldn't make sense. And so that is why this teaching is incredibly important. Because if we're walking away from that, then we are missing an incredible scope of knowing who Jesus and God is. The truth of the matter is this, and this is a powerful statement if you have read the Old Testament. We have to contend with the law and the prophets. We have to. We cannot get rid of them. Now, if you read the Old Testament, and maybe, hopefully, I'm intriguing you enough that you'll go home and get through it. And I understand, like, if you've ever tried to read the Bible from beginning to end, you're like, this is cool in Genesis, some pretty cool stories. Uh, you get to Exodus, and you're like, all right, a little less story, but still pretty cool. Uh, and then you get to uh, Leviticus, and you're like, yeah, I think I'm done with this whole beginning to end thing. Uh, let's, let's get to a different part. <laughs> um, and then, you know, and, and that's like kind of the end. I, I told somebody the other day, it's like when I tried to read the Psalms. You know, I've tried to read the Psalms from beginning to end a million times. You know, I've read all of them, but I've never read it from beginning to end. I've just read Psalm 1 about 8,000 times. <laughs> and so I'm actually going to quote that in today's message later on. So you know why that, that, uh, that verse is with me. Um, but the... The truth is right, that we have to contend with this, the law and the prophets, the entire Old Testament, until the new heavens and earth, which is basically the end of time as we know it. This does not go away. Jesus describes this further. He wants to make no bones about this. He wants to make sure that you understand what he's saying. And he says, not a dot 
not an iota of the law will perish. That is basically like me saying not, not a comma or, you know, when you dot your I's and cross your T's, not even one of those little symbols of the law is going to perish. That, it's staying with us. So what does Jesus' relationship look like with the Old Testament? If, it, if it's not abolishing, if Jesus, when he comes, he doesn't get rid of it, if he doesn't throw it away, if he doesn't trash it, then what does he do? And it says this, that he came to what? Fulfill the law. Jesus' relationship with the law and the prophets is fulfillment, not abolishment. And so what we will cover today, hopefully, will teach you what does fulfillment of the Old Testament look like. What does even the word fulfillment mean? That word in Greek means this. It means a drawing out and a filling up. A drawing out and a filling up. And we'll constantly come back to refer to that. Because what's true about the Old Testament is it has a lot of different parts. You know, there's a lot of... Uh, different facets to the Old Testament. And if you tried to say anything else about Jesus' relationship with it, other than fulfillment, what will happen is you'll talk about certain parts of the Old Testament, but not the entirety of it. But when you talk about Jesus as fulfiller of it, what happens is you cover the entire Old Testament. And let's talk about that for a minute. Because if you don't get context of what fulfillment means, then you may, after today's sermon, go home, read the Old Testament, and then look for a lamb, and then you may like create an altar and start killing it at your house. So let's talk about what does fulfillment mean. Let's look at sacrifices and the priesthood, right? In Jesus' death on the cross, both were completely fulfilled, right? The, if you know what sacrifices are in the Old Testament... What happens is Jesus, when he gives them the law, he tells them uh, to cleanse yourself, to cover your sin. These are the type of sacrifices that you need to make for the different types of sin that you commit. And the priest would have to oversee the certain rituals and would stand an intercession and as kind of stand in the gap between God and Israel And so the priests would make sure these sacrifices were happening right, that they were going well, that Israel would stay in communion with God. And so the meaning of those things, the meaning of sacrifices, that we needed something to atone for our sins, that we needed somebody to intercede for us, the meaning of those things are not gone. The ceremony of those things were fulfilled in Jesus. So what does that mean? They weren't thrown at, they weren't thrown out. In fact, if you read the Old Testament, you get this that the meaning is more fully confirmed and more beautiful when you look at what Jesus has done and you read the Old Testament. See, we needed sacrifice to cover our sins. And only a perfect sacrifice would perfectly cover us. We needed the priest to stand before God on our behalf. And only Jesus was the better priest that can intercede 
for us today. That's what the Bible says that he's doing. See, the ceremonies of these things ceased because they no longer were needed, but the meaning of these things they were built upon. They became more clear. They were not destroyed. Jesus' death, his resurrection, becomes incredibly more powerful in our lives when we understand these things. Because when you read the Old Testament, you realize hundreds of years and thousands upon thousands upon thousands of sacrifices and clean rituals, all of these things, none of them were enough to cover the entirety of our sin. Yet Jesus, in his lordship, in his godship, was a single sacrifice that entirely covered the sin of all humanity, past, present, and future, in one moment. And so actually, his fulfillment describes the beauty of the sacrifices, the beauty of the priesthood even more, where we can look at those things and then what it should do is bring glory to God and say, you are more powerful, you are more amazing, you are more incredible than I ever imagined. Your power over sin, your power over my unrighteousness, your power over death is more incredible than I ever imagined. Even doctrine in the Old Testament all the doctrine that we see in the New Testament can actually be found in the Old. Some of it in baby form. So a lot of people like to talk about the Old Testament doctrine and New Testament doctrine and say the, the Old Testament was the bud and the gospel in the New Testament was the flower. You know, it kind of blossomed. It was all there, but not in full form. If you look at the moral code, it was never done away with. In fact, over the next few weeks, what we're going to talk about is Jesus expounding on this. What does the moral law look like? What was his intentions with it when he said things like, do not murder and do not commit adultery? What does that actually mean? What was the intentions of those pieces of the law? Because what had happened was you had these Pharisees come along, right? Uh, Pharisees, what they did, if you know about the Pharisees, is they were a, a, a sect in Judaism where their entire lives were spent to following the law. And this is what they dedicated themselves to do. And so what they did was they realized the law was really hard to follow, right? If you, if you read, you know, some of the law, it's just like, how does somebody keep all of this? It's, it's, incredibly hard to keep all of it. And so what the Pharisees did is they looked through the law and they started to say, okay, what can we do that, you know, it, it says don't do this, but I think we have permission to kind of tiptoe all around it, right until, this is the line, as long as we don't get right here, we can follow this point. All right, what's the, what's the next part of the law? Okay, you know, we, we can't do this, but that means that we can do this, this, and this, and this. And so what they tried to do is they looked for different ways they can relax the different meanings of the law. And what they did was they came up with a law that was easier and outward. How do I look on the outward? 
And so Jesus, when he explains the law, he explains it as something that is inward. You know, it's, it, and this is why it's tempting to throw away the Old Testament. It's tempting to throw away the Old Testament because it's easier than to turn away from holiness and from righteousness when we throw away the Old Testament. You know, we can look at what God finds holy. A lot of people make arguments out of silence from Jesus, and, that, and that's this. Oh, the New Testament didn't say something about this here, and so we don't have to think about those topics anymore. Yet, the Old Testament said plenty about it. And so because of that, people make these arguments of silence, and they think, how do we start thinking like the Pharisees did? How do I relax the commandments of God, the obedience necessary as a Christ follower? How do I walk away and try to clear my conscience of these things? And so to do that, we turn away more and more from the Old Testament, right? What holy and righteous giving looks like. Oh, I don't have to give in this way anymore because that's an Old Testament thing. That's not something that is a New Testament thing. Or I don't have to abstain or be set apart. It's okay to be hateful towards others. These are, these are things that, ah, that's, we're in a period of grace now. You know, it's okay. It covers a multitude of sin. It's like, man, even Satan could quote scripture. And that's what I want to tell to people sometimes. Do you know that in your quoting scripture of some things that you're doing, this is why it's important to understand scripture, is that you are using scripture in the same way that Satan did to tempt Jesus. You know the lines, but you use them for your convenience, for your selfishness, instead of for what Jesus and God truly meant for its intentions to be. So you may then go and read it and say, yeah, I don't, I don't have to kill animals anymore. I, I don't have to go through these clean rituals anymore. And so because of that, it's irrelevant. It's outdated. It's a different time period. And so let's just let's throw away everything. And it's true, you don't have to do the clean rituals. You don't have to do sacrifices anymore. You don't have to perform these ceremonies. But realize that even though the ceremony ceased, the atonement needed for your sin did not cease. The price was heavy. And the price is real. And what happens when we read the Old Testament through the lens of Jesus it becomes more beautiful to us. It becomes fulfilled in our understanding. He expounds in our understanding of what it means to be obedient to God. And we understand the grandness, the completeness, the beauty of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. We understand that when we go to him and we worship him in all of his glory, that our sinfulness is magnified in our understanding of scripture. But his holiness and his righteousness and his sacrifice for us is also magnified. And the way that he paved for us to God is more fully and better understood. 
And so verse 19, it starts out this way. It says, therefore. So in order to understand the next part of these two verses, you have to completely take everything that we just said. Not an iota, not a dot. It's not abolished. Jesus fulfills it. What does that mean? Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom. Far be it from us to relax the law. Far be it from us. We should only seek to understand it better, to apply it, to cherish and love it. Here we go with Psalm 1, if you wonder how this got in here. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. See, if you get this wrong and you start relaxing these and you start misinterpreting, Jesus doesn't say you're going to be kicked out of the kingdom. What he says is you'll be the least in the kingdom. But he also says, but whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. But the ones who hear what he is saying... And they build their life on the rock as we hear what this teaching is. It's, it's building our life on the rock. That when the storms come, when the waves come, when the things of life start crashing on, our life, our house is still there. So if we hear what he's saying and we do them, what does he say? These are the ones who will be called great in the kingdom. Greatness is not the coolest pastor, right? I'm sorry. I know that, that one hurt me. It's not the most relevant speaker. It's not the person with the most Instagram followers or the most likes on Facebook. Greatness is not the one who has the skinniest jeans on on Sunday or the biggest hipster glasses. That is not greatness. As much as us as a culture, we worship these things. Oh, man, this guy sold, you know, a lot of books. You know, this guy has a lot of views on YouTube, or this girl has a, a lot of followers, or, you know, this girl has a lot of great material and quotes that we follow, or this guy does this and this person does that. And we look at greatness in the terms of the context of what worldly society tells us greatness is. But yet Jesus is saying here that what greatness is the most obedient in the kingdom. Greatness doesn't fall at your cultural aptitude. Greatness doesn't fall at, you know, how many people, you know, retweet you when you say something nice on Twitter. Greatness doesn't fall at how high you can rise at your job, how much power politically you have. Greatness in the kingdom of heaven is the one who is most obedient. So that, that means greatness isn't the one preaching on Sunday. 
Greatness isn't the, the person singing on the worship team or playing on the band. Greatness isn't the one that has the title in the church. Greatness is not the one that puts up the best front that makes it look like they have it all together. Greatness isn't the one that is this or that. Greatness is here is the obedience in the kingdom. You know, a, a lot of times we, we psych ourselves out that we have a lesser relationship with God. We have a lesser place in his kingdom because, you know, we don't get to do the cool stuff. You know, we're, we don't have that title or, you know, we're not up with the blaring lights in our eyes so that I'm blind and can't see anybody. And we, we think of these things as what it means to be great in the church, what it means to be great in the kingdom of God. But that is not what greatness is. See, Greatness among the people of God is, is the obedience of the following what he has called us to do, the most conformed to his will and to his word. That is greatness in the kingdom of heaven. Verse 20, it says this, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whew. Right? So he says before that if you relax these, you'll be least in the kingdom of heaven. But if your righteousness does not hit this point, then what? You will never even enter into the kingdom of heaven. But Justin, we just talked about the righteousness of the Pharisees. They lived their entire lives to be righteous, to follow the law, to make sure that they did everything correctly. How is it possible that I can... I can be greater in righteousness than one of these. The truth is, it's actually not that hard. See, what happened with the Pharisees is how they interpreted the law and how they followed the law is they, they abused it. And righteousness to them became the outward appearance, not the inward state of their heart. Righteousness was how do I look in front of people? How do I present myself? What do I do when I'm outside? How do I, am I, the, am I the longest in my prayers or the loudest in my worship? Righteousness became something that was all about the external, the appearance, the, the amazing Instagram photo feed, the perfect life. That was righteousness. But for them, righteousness missed the most important part the inward state of the heart. Right? The questions they would ask themselves is, how do I present myself as great? How can I act great? You know, this manifests itself in a lot of ways in putting up fronts that I've seen the church struggle with a lot. Instead of allowing God to work on our core, Instead of allowing God to allow an inward change of being, we work on the exterior. We work on, how, what does my appearance look like in front of others? You know, we, we lie about our sins because if that person truly knew who I was, some questions that we can ask ourselves to 
wonder, are, are we living in a righteousness that is like the Pharisees, that is external? Or are we living with one that is inward, like what Jesus is speaking about? Am I honest with my sin to others, or do I hide it? You know, if you are wondering if your righteousness is an exterior or an interior thing of your heart, is your sinfulness something that you keep in the darkness? Is it something that you hide at all costs? Is it something that you don't let others into? Is it something that you have built walls and a castle around that nobody can penetrate? Or is it something that you're honest with people about? Hey, this is what I've struggling with. This is the things that I don't like that have been on my heart, that have been on my mind lately, some of the actions that it's led me to. Are my thoughts different than my actions? Right? I can, I can smile at you all day on Sunday. Like I could get through a couple of hours smiling, but I could hate you every single second of that smile. Don't ever let the smile fool you, that Sunday smile. Because I met people, man. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah, Brother Justin. Hallelujah. How you doing? Blessed in Jesus' name. Blessed in Jesus' name. Whew. Say something rude to that person. Just, you know, just as an experiment. You know, like, find the button and push it for a second. See what happens. Man, the, the line of cursing through text messaging that I have seen right after a service. Man, I'm telling you, I've been in a meeting with somebody where it's just like, brother this, sister that, hallelujah this, amen that. And then just a couple of hours later, F that, S-H-I-T this, mother F for that. Just dropping bomb after bomb. And it's like, oh, 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 what, what just happened right now? You firing shots. It's too real for some people in here. <laughs> but are your thoughts different than your actions? Do I live a different life around my Christian friends than my non-Christian ones? Right? Jesus speaks of a righteousness that is inward. Where in him a new heart is given. New motives, new character. The inward righteousness will always exceed the outward righteousness. Ephesians 4, 22 to 24 teaches us this. Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. After this, Paul explains this. In detailed, practical application, what does it look like when a Christian lives with inward righteousness in their life? It looks like this, following the law, being obedient to the law. He says things like, 
You're not living a false life. You're not living one big front. You're not stealing anymore if you're a thief. You're not dealing with anger in hateful and improper ways. You're a generous person. You're not gossiping about people. And the list goes on and on. He's just naming all of them. And what is he doing? He is just explaining the Old Testament law. Because what Jesus has done for us is he has regenerated our hearts and our lives when we've decided to follow him. When the Holy Spirit draws us into new life, his spirit comes in us and gives us new motives, changes our character, creates in us a pure heart. See, our salvation, it leads us to and produces in us righteousness and holiness. And a lot of times when we talk about salvation, we just think, okay, thank you, God, for your righteousness. I can make it into heaven. And then we leave it at that. But yes, to... We get Jesus' righteousness. He puts it on us like a garment, but it is not true salvation if the heart and the motive and an inward righteousness is not produced. And Jesus here is calling to account his people. And he says, you have relaxed things, you have made things easier on yourself, but let me explain to you what this truly means and what you should live like. And I, I remember this happening. I, I remember on Sundays, I was a youth pastor for three years. And when you're a youth pastor, you just, you hear the craziest stories in the world. And so there was this um, one, one uh, youth in our church. And I, I remember sitting down with her. She's like, Justin, I, I need to talk to you. Uh, I was like, yeah, okay. Uh, and, you know, her family incredible people, you know, really some of the most outspoken, loudest Christians that I knew, you know, they would just, I don't know how to put it any other way. And uh, we sat down, we started talking, and she was like, yeah, I don't know what to do. I was like, what's wrong? She said, the stuff, you know, is going on with my family. I was like, really? I mean, I just saw your family on Sunday. They looked like they were doing great. I mean, they were doing the whole thing, you know? Like, what's going on? She's like, yeah. Lately, when I, when I get home, you know, my, one of my parents has been getting angry. And I'm like, oh, you know, what does that look like? You know, what's happening? I, I don't know. You know, there's, there's just been a lot of turmoil lately in the family. And, you know, if just something goes wrong, I just find myself getting choked getting hit, getting punched, getting kicked. And I was blown away by this. It was, it was hard to believe. That, man, that something isn't connecting. You know, the, I mean, they, they pray in tongues, they prophesy, they, they jump around. I know them, you know, they come every Sunday. All the things, 
the outward appearance checked off. But inwardly, in the secret places, they had been missing something from God. They didn't look to him for the new and pure heart. And then I remember this other kid, man, I, he was as stiff as the neck. Whole family on Sunday. Yeah, man, if, if they said like amen after prayer, I was like, oh, revival! Woo! Did you see them? All of them. Going home. You know, that was the Sunday experience. And I remember as I got closer to one of the kids, I started hanging out with them, going to their house, and talking with him. And I had never met such a godly family in my life. You would have never known from their expression on Sunday. You would have thought they were the biggest sinners, most ungodly people you ever met in your life. Like, dude, smile is the presence of God, for crying out loud, you know? But they had wholly given themselves over to God, and he had produced a character and a righteousness in them that was not an outward appearance in the literal sense. It was very inward. But I remember being blown away and then talking to those parents more, saying, like, how did you raise your kids? They're, they're amazing kids. Like, what is it about your marriage? Like, tell me about how you've kept Christ at the center. And they had wisdom for days. Because they had submitted themselves to God, and when they followed him, God had done something in their heart that was inward, that expressed itself in amazing, Christ-like, godly character in their lives. I pray that the Holy Spirit today, that he convicts us to repentance. And that he renews us to live, as it says here, in true righteousness and holiness. Pray with me. Father, your church, we have lived like the Pharisees for so long with a righteousness that is only outward. We come to Sunday and, and we dance and we shout and we raise our hands, but many times when we go home, we do not act like what we act together today. Father, many of us know the right things to say. We know the right ways to act, but we have not allowed you in and fully surrendered our lives to you and become obedient to what you have called us to be by the power of your Holy Spirit. I pray for a conviction of your word, a conviction by your spirit that draws us closer to you, Father. That we would be able to walk in the fruit of your spirit where your word says we can prophesy we can pray in tongues but if we do not have the fruit of your spirit we are like clanging cymbals just making noise father i pray that we would not be people that just make noise but that we would be people that have put off the old self that have been renewed by your holy spirit 
in true righteousness and holiness. That we would know that you have not come to abolish the law, but you have come to fulfill it. And that great in the kingdom is the one who does and teaches all that you command, Father. It's the